to Ephesians. <clears throat> I want to rent a motorcycle just so I can do that again. <clears throat> Anybody got a motorcycle to lend me? <clears throat> All right, Bob. <clears throat> oh. You know, I, I, I am fully aware that today is Father's Day. And and the message is, well, I'm, I'm, I'll just go ahead and tell you the title of the message. It's per, Parenting with Purpose. And, and, and primarily, uh, this message uh, has a lot to do with being, being, being parents or being a dad uh, specifically. But the principles we're going to talk about this morning are principles that can carry across just about every area of life. And uh, so I, I, I trust it'll be a hope, a uh, hope. Uh, I, I trust and hope it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, it, it was an encouragement to me as I studied this uh, um, this last uh, week or two. And... Um, uh, Never before, I, I believe with all my heart, that never before uh, had the principles that we're about to talk about been uh, any more important than they are today. Uh, the, the rate of children that are growing up without fathers <clears throat> is staggering. And um, it... it it, it um, the the institution of the home is under attack. Um, again, never before I believe in the history of our country have these principles been more important. So, as we as we look at these principles this morning, uh, let's look at them in such a way that uh, and ask God to speak to your heart. You know, and one of the, <clears throat> for lack of better words, one of the fears that I have in preaching a message like this is that uh, young single people would look at this and say, oh, this is not important to me. Uh, and my, my, my comment to that is it is absolutely important to you. Uh, another fear or concern of mine is that older people would say the same thing. Oh, that does, this doesn't apply. I've already raised my kids. It's it's up to my kids to worry about this stuff. And let me say to you, if that is your attitude, you're wrong. <clears throat> I'm a grandparent. I love being a grandparent. But I take the responsibilities of a grandparent very serious. And um, so, this morning, <clears throat> I want to look at some parents in the Bible that got it right and some that got it wrong. Uh, the Bible's full of them. Uh, the good parents, bad parents, and uh, sometimes we kind of overlook this. So I want to I share with you some, so first off, with some parents that, that did it right. Uh, Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham raised a, a young man named Isaac. And uh, in Genesis chapter 22, verses uh, 6 through 8, it says, Abraham uh, took the wood of the burnt offering. Well, let me stop right here and explain that 
that God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I, I know you're an old man. He was, he was well into his hundreds at this point of his life. And Isaac, his son, his only son, was probably in his late 20s, early 30s at this point. So this means that Abraham was, like I said, well into his hundreds. And he says, he says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And in Genesis chapter six, verses, uh, chapter 22, verses 6 through 8, it says, And Abraham took the wood of, of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and, and he uh, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, uh, both of them together. And Isaac said, uh, spake unto Abraham his father, and, and said, Father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the wood and the, uh, the fire and the wood, uh, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God shall provide himself a lamb for a, a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Here, the, the lesson here is this. Abraham loved Isaac, his son, but he loved God more. And so often... God comes to us and he says, I want your child to serve me. And I have known parents that have gotten in the way of children serving the Lord because they love their children too much. Who do you love more? God or your children? That's a hard question to ask. But Abraham, Abraham loved Isaac with all of his heart, but he loved God more. See, God, or Abraham knew, at least I believe, Abraham knew in his heart that if Isaac died that day, that somehow, some way, God was going to give him another son because he had all he had promised that the seed of Israel, that the, the seed <clears throat> that would come from Abraham would then become the nation of Israel. Asaph raised a young man named Joseph, uh, Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 32 says, And he, <clears throat> being Jehoshaphat, walked in the way of Asaph his father and departed not from it, uh, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Asaph took the time to teach Jehoshaphat how to love God. So that when, when Asa died... Asa was the king of Israel. Uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, actually he was the king of Judah, not the king of Israel. Excuse me for that little faux pas there. Uh, when Asa died, Jehoshaphat took, took over the realm, uh, took over the kingdom, and, he, and he, he feared God because of his father. What about Lois and Eunice? And they, they, they raised a young boy named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, When I uh, call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, that's being Timothy, which first dwelt in thy grandmother uh, Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that, it, it, that in thee also. Now what, what was this? Paul recognized the fact that Lois and Eunice had spent time 
passing along a, a precious gift to this young man, Timothy. Timothy loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. His faith was strong, not because of anybody other than his mother and his grandmother. They invested in his life. And that's what good parents do. Now let's talk about a few that did it wrong. A guy named Eli. Anybody know who Eli was? Eli was the high priest. He was, he was not just a priest. He was the high priest. What does the Bible say about his sons? In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. Who, who was Belial? That's the devil. The, God, God says that Eli's son, the high priest, his sons were the sons of the devil. They were and they knew not the Lord. Now, I, I, without getting again, that's a whole sermon all in itself. But not get without without going too far into it. Basically, what happened? I believe what happened was <clears throat> Eli got so busy serving the Lord, he forgot to serve his family. And so many times that happens in our circles as well. I know pastors in, in the United States today, multiple pastors in our country today, that the same thing would be said about them. And it's sad. What about David? King David was a, you know, we, we think of King David as this great mighty warrior who, who fought for Israel and did all these wonderful things. But he was a horrible dad. He had, a, he had a son named Absalom who tried to take the kingdom away, who did horrific things. He also had a son named Amnon and a daughter named Tamar. And between those, those, those three children that, that David had, rape, murder, and all sorts of horrible things happened because David was an absent father. You can read a, a lot of it in 2 Samuel chapter 13. <clears throat> then there's a guy named Isaac. Anybody know Isaac's wife's name? Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac pampered his son Esau. Rebecca spoiled her son Jacob. You can read this in Genesis chapter 25 to chapter 36. It is a mess. People who did it right, people who did it wrong. The other day I read a story I wanted to share with you that I felt, feels, felt kind of fit in here. A young man was being sentenced to prison. The judge had known him and he had known his father. His father was a famous legal scholar and the author of an exhaustive study entitled The Law of Trust. <clears throat> the judge looked at the young boy and he says, do you, do you remember your father? The young boy answered, he says, I do remember him, your honor. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Then in an attempt to prick the young man's conscience, the judge says this, as you are about to uh, be sentenced and as you think of your wonderful father, what do you remember most clearly about him? There was a pause. The answer that the judge was about to receive was an unexpected, unexpected answer. The young man looked at the judge and he said this, I remember when I went to him for advice, he looked up, me, looked up at me from the book he was writing and said, run along, boy, I'm busy. When I went to him for companionship, he turned me away saying, run along, son. This book must be finished. Your Honor, you remember him as a great lawyer. I remember him as a lost friend. And as the judge sat there pondering how he was going to sentence this young man, he said to himself, sadly, he finished the book but lost his son. And so often, so often in life, we can get so consumed with the, the, the here and now that we forget that we have been given an incredible responsibility as fathers, as parents, as friends, grandparents, Parenting with a purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, and let's start reading verse, verse 1. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. Lord, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us through your word, and that you would help us to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> in Paul's day, the father of the home had supreme authority. An example of this is when a baby was born. When a, when a, when a baby was born in a Roman home, the father would be outside the room where the birth took place, and the midwife would bring the child in and set it before the father. And if the father picked up the child, then it meant that the child was welcome into the home. But if the father got up and walked away, which happened often, the child then could be sold, given away, or even killed. If you, do, if you do much history, you, you would find out that during this period of time, 
abandoned children, literally infants on the, on the streets, were quite common. Paul is telling the authority of the home in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, particularly number 4, to not abuse the child. Because every child is a gift from the Almighty God. It is not ours to decide whether we want them or not. It is our responsibility, it is our job to raise that child for Him. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, Paul wrote, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Point number one this morning. We should be an encouragement. We should be an encouragement. Look at verse four again. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Any idea what the word provoke not means? Okay, we see it. We we saw it in Colossians chapter three, verse twenty-one, and it means to discourage. You know, the the last thing in the world God wants us to do is 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 as parents, as a father, is to to discourage our children. So we we should spend our lives encouraging our children. The opposite of discourage is to encourage. First and foremost, that should be the the very most important thing that we do with our children. So I want to spend, I want to give you five ways that we can discourage our children. Okay? Then we're going to, I'm going to give you some ways that we can encourage them. Uh, Five ways we can discourage our children. First one is by saying one thing and doing another. How many of you ever done that? We've all done it. Do as I say, not as I as I as I do. It is in, an incredible discouragement to young people to, to to see the hypocrisy in our lives. The second way is to always blame and never praise. Now, do children do wrong? Absolutely. But they, do they do right? Absolutely, and all, way too often in our in our in our culture, I don't know what who or what is to really to blame, but the 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 problem is we forget to encourage our children. It's easy to come down hard on them when they mess up, but it's all also important we encourage. Number three by being inconsistent and unfair in our discipline. Recently, I talked to a family not in our church. <laughs> okay, I would never give an illustration like this to somebody in our church. That is having major issues because the mom and dad give mixed signals to the point where the, the, the child that was in question here 
was almost to the point of suicide. Why? Because of the inconsistency and the unfairness of discipline. One was heavy-handed, the other one let him get away with murder. By showing favoritism. Now, I don't I don't have to sit, I don't have to park on this one. We all know how stupid that is. We, we you you cannot cannot show favoritism, period. And then number five, by by making promises and not keeping them. You know, if you tell your kid something, do it. How, do, how can we encourage our kids? Number one, by being consistent. Being consistent. Number two, by, by not focusing on the negative but on the positive. By, by being um, uh, uh, fair in our discipline. By showing equal love, by keeping your promises, by by listening and being genuine, genuinely concerned. These are all ways that we can be an encouragement to our children. Number two, we should not only encourage, but we should also cultivate. Look at verse four again. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We see an example here of, <clears throat> of nurturing. And the greatest example we have in our lives would be the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and, and stature and in favor with God and men. This is, this is, this is the balanced life right here. Our example is Jesus Christ. The first one, <clears throat> wisdom or intelligence. Then we have uh, physical uh, maturity. So you have wisdom and, and stature. And then you have uh, spiritual growth. And you also have social growth with God and man. We, we, should, we should be raising our children to have favor with God and men balance in, 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 our, in the lives of our young people. What does it mean to cultivate? I, I'm not a farmer. Those of you that know me know I grew up in Southern California. The only thing I learned to grow was cement <clears throat> and weeds. We had a lot of weeds. I don't, know where, I don't know where they come from, but we had a lot of weeds. <clears throat> but what does it mean to cultivate? I have a friend who's a farmer in in um, uh, uh, Illinois. Uh, he's a he's a corn farmer, and <clears throat> I asked I asked him a lot of questions when we were back there, and <clears throat> it's an amazing process to grow something. You know, for me for me I I you know I I just let my wife handle it. She says dig a hole, I dig a hole, put a pot in it, and I'm done. But she she knows what to put in the soil. She knows all these things, and 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 you know this this farmer friend of mine. He it is a year long process to get a single crop. He he it, it, again it's it's an amazing thing. You you would think I, I you know again me personally I would think okay you you go out you throw your seeds in the ground. 
you know, let it, let God water it, rain it, you know, you sprinkle it, whatever you got to do. And then you go back a, a month or two later, pick your corn, you're done. Well, it's not like that. At least not in, in today's industry. They, they, they work year round to get a single crop. It is a, it is a, it is an incredible process. But it has to be cultivated. And so often we <clears throat> we fail to realize that we need to cultivate the hearts of our young people. In Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. What, what, is, what is he saying here? The, the, the implication here is that our hearts can become hard. And as parents, it is our job, it is our responsibility to, to cultivate, to break up the hard, follow ground of the hearts of our children. It is important that we do this. Preparation. Just as my friend has to cultivate, he has to prepare the ground for the, for the harvest every year. Our children need the same attention. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible is the training of children assigned to an agency outside of the home. Let, let me say that again. So make sure everybody awake. Okay, everybody's awake. Nowhere in the Bible does it have even hint at the responsibility of training our children to an agency outside of the home. Amen. Can I hear another amen? Amen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> God looks to parents to teach their children. And then number three, we see admonition. Admonition is an incredible word. Uh, you know, on the surface, this word admonition can sound kind of rough because it's not, it's not the kind of word we would use today. But it is an incredible word. It has three different aspects to it. And, and this is important, so please get a hold of this. Uh, in... in uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 4 again it says and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord the first aspect of this word admonition has carries the idea of education I heard recently I had a conversation with somebody recently I can't remember who it is it could be somebody in the room I don't remember who it was but we were talking about the uh, <clears throat> the education system in Nevada, <clears throat> and one of us, I think it was the other person, I don't remember, uh, made the comment that uh, the the history that they're teaching in our schools today is not accurate to a true American history. And I, I remember agreeing with the statement, 
But as I later, as, as I left, and actually as I was studying for this, it dawned on me, it's not the school's responsibility to teach your children accurate history. Whose responsibility is it? It's ours. As parents. I heard of a parent one time here at Fernley. I, I used to know the vice principal out there. I don't know if he's still there or not. But <clears throat> I, I heard of a parent out there that, 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 that went to the school one time and absolutely went off on, on, the, on, the, on the principal or the counselor, or whoever, I can't remember now, because their child was, was failing. And I, I wanted to say, that that's not fair. Because whose responsibility is it to teach their children? It's not the school district's responsibility to teach your children. If your children are failing, it's not their fault. The Word of God says that that entity, that, that, that government responsibility is there to assist you, not to take over your responsibilities. The same thing is true for the church. It is not the church's responsibility to teach your children about God. Now it is the church's responsibility to come alongside you and help you and encourage you and give you the tools so that you can do. You know how long you know how many hours a week we get your children? One, maybe two hours a week if we're lucky. On a, for some of you kids that are here all the time, maybe three hours a week compared to how many hours you get them. See, it's not the church's responsibility to raise your children for God. It is your responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words uh, <clears throat> which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently. It doesn't say the church shall teach them diligently to your children. What does he say here in, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4? Fathers, who's he talking to? He's talking to parents, primarily the dad. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition or teach them the things of the Lord. Continue in Deuteronomy, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when they rise and when, they, when thou walkest in the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. For thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on the gates and, and on thy gates. In other words, the word of God should be all over your house. Everything, everything we do as parents needs to point our young people to the Lord. When they're sitting down, when we're when you're rising up, when you're going to bed, every aspect of your life, you should be teaching your children about the Lord. 
The second aspect of the word admonish is to train. There is a huge difference between education and training. Education is a, is a head knowledge. Training is a, is a hands-on knowledge, if you would. Training carries the idea of, of showing or demonstrating by doing. If our kids are going to, uh, to get it, it is, it is because we live it. And they learn by example. That is where the, the, the statement, do as I say, not as I do, comes in. Because we can tell our kids all day long, do this, do this, do this. But if you're over here living like this, guess what's going to happen? They're going to they're gonna walk like daddy walks. They're going to talk like daddy talks. It's an amazing thing I... I will hear occasionally uh, in, 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 out in publics uh, a young person use a word that would not be uh, welcome in our home. And I've heard parents say, where did you learn that from? Well, guess where they learned it from? No, they learned it from mom and dad. Our greatest example, again, is Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What did, what did Jesus do with his disciples? He, did, he didn't hand them a book and say, Here, read this, and you'll be a disciple. He said, he said Follow me. And then what, what did he do as they followed him? He admonished them. Okay, well, how did he admonish them? By teaching? And training. See, Jesus is our greatest example. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What, what was Paul saying? Hey, hey, look at I have it all together. You follow me, be like me. Is that what Paul's saying? No, that is not what Paul's saying. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, hey, as I follow Christ, you follow me. And together we'll get there. And that is exactly how we should parent. We should parent and our lives should be so that we can look at our kids and say, hey, you follow me as I follow Christ and we'll get there. That is how we should parent. The third aspect of this word admonish it carries with it the word the, the idea of discipline. The truth is, if we do the first two parts of the this idea of, of admonishment, the education and the training, the, the idea of discipline is a whole lot easier. Discipline must always be done in love. Now, I'm, I'm going to make a statement here, and I hope you listen to me here. Because anger plus discipline equals disaster. Let me, let me say that again. Anger plus discipline equals disaster. We should never, 
ever disciplined in anger. Yesterday, I had the privilege of driving to Fallon with George, and George and I were talking, and and it came up that Jesus was angry, was he not? When he uh, Jesus went to the temple, and he overturned the table of the money changers and all that, would you say he was upset? I would. But what what kind of what kind of anger did Jesus have? Okay, it was righteous, but it was controlled anger. He didn't he didn't go in and and in today's vernacular he did not go in and lose it. Okay, it, it, but isn't that how we react? When you know when we lose our temper, what do we do? We lose it, and we just we go berserk. But what did Jesus do just prior to overturning the tables? And I asked George this, and, and, and you know, I explained. What did he do just prior to overturning the tables? He went, he went back. He had gone to the temple, saw what was going on. He left, and then he made the whip that he used. So by the time he came back, it... He was angry by what was the the the, the heresy and the and the defacing that was taking place in the temple. It upset him, but he didn't go in there and lose his temper. And so often, <clears throat> we need to understand it is not our we we cannot discipline in anger. We are we are all human. And and we have my wife and I have two children and I was not the perfect dad by any stretch of the imagination, but I tried, I tried, I tried never to discipline in anger. Hopefully I, I don't know that I cannot recall ever a time. My daughter would probably say, Yeah, I can remember a few. But you know, that was something that we tried really, really hard to do. To never discipline in anger. She'll, she'll remind me of a few later today, I'm sure. I have a couple quotes from teenagers. Again, these are not Grace Baptist Church teenagers, so don't sit there, oh, I wonder who said that, okay? <clears throat> but I love, I, I, I shouldn't say I love it, but it, it's very descriptive what this first teenager said. My father <clears throat> would use a cannonball to kill a mosquito. Like, dude, I like that guy. No, I'm teasing. Um, <clears throat> but the teenager went on, I either get away with murder or get blamed for everything. That's not fair. That's not fair. Another teenager said, I, I, I never knew how far to go because my parents never cared enough to discipline me. I figure that if it... <clears throat> If it wasn't important to them, it wasn't important to me. How sad. See, parenting is, is so important. And as fathers, we have a responsibility to admonish, to nurture our children, to love and respect them. Warren Wearsby wrote this, uh, consistent, loving discipline 
gives assurance to the child. He may not agree with us, but at least he knows that we care enough to build some uh, protective walls around him until he can take care of himself. That's exactly what parenting is. And as an older, as as a child gets older, the walls get bigger and bigger and wider and wider. We should be preparing our children for life, not keeping them from life. But at the same time, we shouldn't be throwing our children out for the wolves. It's a, it is a, it is a delicate balance at best being a parent, being a grandparent. Encourage, cultivate, admonish. Each of these principles can be used in, in all of our lives. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what stage of life you're in. These are important principles that each of us can take into our lives and help grow us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day.